introduction, who here is just so thankful for the leadership of Pastor Allen and Pastor Kathy and their family here? I'm just so honored to be a part of this team and be a part of all that God is doing here at our church. Um, it is my greatest joy to be the Connections Pastor here and to serve alongside our Connect team, all of those good-looking greeters and parking guys and everyone out there that greeted you when you came in. I get to serve with them on Sunday mornings, and um, I've had the privilege of empowering and encouraging our small group leaders. Our launch is August 13th. I'm so excited. Um, it's going to be an incredible time. Community is not just important to Pastor Allen, it's important to God. You know, Jesus himself came and developed and sharpened 12 disciples and they changed the world. And so there is so much power in community. So if you haven't already marked your calendars, I can't stress enough, August 13th, our launch. We're actually going to be sharing some more details about how to register for that event starting next week, but I am just so excited. And I'm excited for today, um, I know that a lot of you are expecting Pastor Allen this morning, so I just have longer hair and I'm a little louder, and I've had a few more cups of coffee, um, but we are going to have a great time this morning, so I hope you're excited to be here. Um, these are kind of my favorite mornings because it's really neat because there's not a topic, one, so that makes me really excited that Pastor Allen and Pastor Kathy would trust me that much because they have no idea what I'm going to talk about today, um, but number two, it makes me excited because these are the moments where I just say, God, what is it that you want to say? What is it that you have to say to your people? And, and so I prepared a message, and I had practiced it, and I was feeling really good. And then, you know, God always does what he wants to do. And so on Wednesday morning, all of that changed. And so this message, I truly believe, is a word for somebody today, even if it's one person that has changed today. I'm so excited to share with you what God has placed on my heart. So I hope you're ready to receive. I know it's kind of dark, but if you can, take some notes this morning. Um, we are going to open our Bibles. If you have a paper Bible this morning, not only will you get extra points in heaven, um, but you know that you have it and you can open it and be a part of what we're going to read. You can open your Bible on your phone as well. But if you don't have any of those resources, we're going to put it up on the screen to make it easy for you. I'm going to be reading out of Joshua chapter 6 this morning, um, out of the Amplified Version. So if you'll turn there with me, we're going to start um, in verse number 1. And it says, Now Jericho, a fortified city with high walls, was tightly closed because of people's fear of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the mighty warriors. Now you shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city all at once. You shall do this once each day for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets made of ram's horns ahead of the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall cry out with a great shout or battle cry, and the wall of the city will fall down in its place, and the people shall go up, each man going straight ahead, climbing over the rubble. Skipping down to verse 15, it says, Then on the seventh day they got up early at daybreak, and they marched around the city in the same way seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And in verse 20 it says, The people shouted the battle cry and the priests blew the trumpets. 
And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, they raised a great shout, and the wall of Jericho fell down. So the sons of Israel went up into the city, every man straight ahead, climbing over the rubble, and they overthrew the city. Will you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here this morning. God, I pray that it would be your words and not mine, Lord, that I would just get out of the way, that I would decrease and that you would increase, Lord, and you would use me as a vessel to speak a word deep into the hearts of your people today. Father, I'm asking that you would plant seeds that would continue to harvest, Lord, that walls would come down today and chains would be broken and that you would do what only you can do in this house today. So, Lord, give us open ears, open hearts, and open eyes to receive the word that you have for us today. We want to hear from you. We acknowledge your presence, and we welcome you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, for those of you who don't know, which you probably don't know because I avoid this topic completely like the plague, and um, just a fun little fact, you know, the Lord said to boast in your weaknesses, and so here it goes. I live with my parents. Woo! I know, it's really exciting, and um, I, I always try to hide that fact. In fact, some of you are probably confused because I've had conversations with people who have been like, hey, Cody, you know, where do you live? And I'm like, oh, uh, I live in Ackworth. And they're like, Ackworth? Wow, that's kind of far. Why would you live all the way down there? Oh, it's just, I just, oh, do, do you have roommates there? Yeah, I got two roommates. <laughs> I do. Um, it's Jeff and Sandy, my parents. Um, and not to embarrass them, but they are here this morning on the front row. Love you, Mom and Dad. So excited you're here. Thank you so much for not making me pay rent. And so um, I live with my parents. And I don't know why. I just There's nothing wrong with living with your parents. But I've just always been so ashamed of that for some reason. I'm like, I'm in my 20s. You know, I'm put together. I'm sophisticated. I have a great job. I have great friends. And I just feel like I should be on my own. You know what I mean? And so, um, yes, I live with them. And I've always been embarrassed about that. And But I have some exciting news for those of you who don't know if you don't follow me on Facebook that I am moving out on Tuesday so I am so excited yes amen it's been great um, living at home but it is time to fly and so I I have moved out before don't get me wrong but I've gone to college or I went on tour um, with a theater company for a couple years with a children's theater company which was so fun and I always had the anticipation that I was going to come back and so I was able to leave a lot of stuff. Now, I've only been alive for 18 short years. Um, I feel like I'm not really old enough to make jokes like that, but I just really wanted to. And so I've only been alive for, you know, 18 short years. But in those 18 years, right, all of this stuff has just accumulated in there. And I've been able to leave it, right? I've been able to leave a lot of it there or hide it in corners. And I've never taken my furniture before. And so my parents, as generous as they have been the past two years that I've lived under their roof, um, they have said, hey, just take it all. You know, don't leave a thing this time. And so I'm like, you're right. I'm going to take my furniture. It's going to be awesome. And so um, I have started to pack and move. And I've been doing this for a couple weeks. And nobody told me that moving isn't nearly as fun as having your own place. And so I realized I have so much junk everywhere. 
everywhere. I mean, even in places you would never think, like under my bed. Haven't looked under there in probably nine years. And you can tell because there's Barbies from 2003 that I'm finding, and their hair's like all messed up. And I'm like, what is this? And um, I'm so grateful for my best friend, Destiny. Do any of you have someone in your life that you're like, okay, God put this person here because they knew I was really going to need them in my life? Um, For a lot of you, that's hopefully and probably your spouse. But for me, I'm not married yet, and so it's my best friend, Destiny. And (laughs) Destiny has been my best friend since fourth grade. And so, I mean, long friendship. So she has probably even added to some of the things that have accumulated in my bedroom. And she is the most organized, put-together person on earth. And if you know anything about me, I am the polar opposite of that. So I am not very organized. I don't enjoy to throw things out. I don't enjoy to pack things in boxes. I just want it to be there magically. And so when I told her, you know, we've been waiting for this moment since we were little girls. And I'm like, Destiny, it's happening, right? And I'm like, we are moving out. And she's like, yeah, you're moving out, girl. You're an adult. You've made it. And I'm like, I've made it. And I'm jumping and screaming like, yes, I'm so excited. And she's like, we're going to have to pack all your stuff. And she, like, loves it, right? Is anyone else like that where you enjoy organizing or packing? And so she is just thrilled about it. And so I'm telling you, there have been many, many days where there has been stuff all over the floor. I mean, everywhere. And I'm weeping, okay? I'm just being honest. I'm like, there is so much stuff. I'm so overwhelmed. Like, this is not fun. And she's like, just keep going. Keep working. Just pack it up. Get it in there. And I promise, Cody, Once you are sitting in your new apartment and you have your lights strung and your beds made and everything's put together, you're going to be like, wow, this was so worth it. But in the moment, I'm like, are you sure? Like, are you sure we're going to be able to get this huge dresser downstairs and upstairs and into the apartment? I don't know how you do that. Um, Are you sure? And I keep thinking about this passage And I keep thinking about the people who are marching and walking around the wall of Jericho. And they see this wall. I mean, it's a huge, tall stone wall that says it's tightly closed. Tight. No one coming in. No one coming out. And they're marching around and they're walking around the wall and they're looking and they're like, are we sure this thing's really going to come down? Like, I know I'm marching. I know I have my trumpet. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm being obedient to God, but are we sure this is going to come down? Because right now I feel overwhelmed and I feel silly and I feel like I'm just putting in a lot of work and I'm not really seeing the results yet. And that makes me think about us today. You know, we're walking around, we're committed, we're working, but a lot of us keep marching and keep moving and we haven't seen the results yet. I'm packing my boxes, I'm getting ready to move, but I haven't gone into my apartment yet. So it doesn't look so sweet in this moment. But it takes work, right? You have to put in the work. And the title of my message today is Put in the Work. So can you say it with me? Put in the work. Okay, let's do it one more time. Really excited. Put in the work. Will you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, are you putting in the work? Good. Everything in this life takes work, right? If you want to make money, you have to go to work, right? If you want to be in a relationship, that takes If you want to start your own business, managing it takes a lot of. And if you have a child, 
I don't, but just from babysitting, I know that takes so much work, more than I think I'm ready for for a very long time, right? So it takes work. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. And, and don't mistake that in saying that you have to do A, B, and C to receive the love of God or be pursued by God. God loves you unconditionally no matter what you have done in this life, no matter what's going on around you. God is pursuing you and God loves you. But maintaining a relationship with him takes work, right? Getting up an hour early before you go to your job to spend time with him, that takes work, right? Serving on a team here and being here at 8 a.m. or in the production team, loading lyrics or playing guitar, that takes work to show up early and be a part of that ministry. To pack lunches downstairs and must and send out a thousand sandwiches and lunches to children in need, that takes work, right? And in James, it says, faith without works is dead. And so what we do with the work that God's put in front of us, the effort and the work that we put into the tasks he set before us, it matters to God. It matters to him a lot. And I feel like so many of us today, not just in America and not just in the state of Georgia or in Canton, I feel like so many of us today in the church are sitting back and asking God, why he isn't moving in a way we want him to. You know, God, why aren't you blessing me with this job? God, why aren't you giving me more for my finances? God, why haven't you repaired that relationship? And a lot of times, it's because we, the body of Christ, are unwilling to put in the work. And Proverbs 13.4 says, Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. Those who work hard will prosper. And it seems like such a simple concept, but I feel like so many of us are missing it. In Luke chapter 4, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's not upon my neighbor. It's not upon my husband. It's not upon my spouse. It's not upon my friend. It's not upon my boss. It's upon me. And so the way that situations in my life are held is dependent on me and the work that I'm willing to put in. When Jesus ascended to heaven, his ministry didn't stop. It filled people with the Holy Spirit, and so his body of Christ, the church, could go out and do his work, and it could do his work. The work of God is simply that. It's work, and it takes effort, right? And sometimes, a lot of us, we sit back and we're asking God for a miracle and sometimes the miracle is actually found in the way that we manage the things that he's already entrusted to us. So, so many times we're saying, God, I'm so frustrated with you. You haven't shown up in the way that I wanted you to do. You know, God, I want to see you move a mountain, but don't you dare ask me to hike it. I mean, really, God, I just pray that you would repair my marriage, but don't you dare ask me to forgive them. Right? God, I want you to bless me and give me more finances. But don't ask me to tithe or to make a budget. God, I want you to help me be healthier. My body is falling apart. But don't you dare ask me to give up my extra large whole milk vanilla latte from Dunkin' Donuts every single day. I won't do it. <laughs> right? And so, so many times we ask God for these things, but we're not willing to manage what he's already given to us to steward, and to take care of. And I think in Joshua chapter 6, they're saying, God, make the walls fall down. Send them down. But don't ask us to march around it. That would be silly. 
And God says, I will be faithful to complete the things in your life. I will be faithful to heal. God wants to heal. God wants to restore. God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be successful and prosperous. But what are you doing with what's in your hands? Like that message that Pastor S preached a couple weeks ago. How are you managing the things that he's already entrusted to you? I think about the story of David and Goliath. God is almighty and all-powerful. He could have zapped Goliath down in a second. But what an honor and privilege that he would be willing to use messed up, broken people like us to perform his miracles here on earth. And so what did it take for David? Did he stand back and say, God, okay, I want you to defeat Goliath now? No. He said, okay, you've put me in this position. I'm fearful. This looks like a big deal, but I'm going to take the stone and I'm going to put it in the slingshot, and I'm going to do whatever I can to make this happen. And God used David because he was willing to put in the work. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you willing to put in the work? And a lot of times, work is not super fun, right? It's really rare today in America where you go to your job and you're like, I love my job. A lot of people don't have that luxury, honestly. And a lot of times, it's just not fun to do what is right. For instance, it's not fun to admit that you're wrong when you're having an argument. Definitely not fun, right? It's definitely not fun for me to go to my mom this day and age and say, hey, when I was 15 and I was really rebellious and annoying, you were right all that time. It's not fun. It's not fun to choose kindness in a frustrating moment. It's not fun. It's not fun to forgive somebody that's hurt you. And it's definitely not fun to choose patience when you're driving on 575 in the left lane and someone's going 50 miles an hour. Nobody listens to the construction speed limits. You know what I mean? It's not fun. It's not. But following Jesus was never meant to just make sense and be easy. His whole ministry wasn't that way. It didn't make sense, the things that he did. And he knows what we're walking through. He knows that it's difficult for us. He knows how big that wall is. He knew how big Goliath looked to David. He knew, and he said, look, I know that you're going to be marching around this wall. And I know days are going to go by. And I know you're going to be hot. And I know you're going to be sweaty. And I know you're going to miss your family. And I know your feet are going to hurt. But if you're faithful to do what I've asked you to do, if you're obedient in that, I will do more than you ever could imagine. And I think about the parable of the sower in Matthew when Jesus says the sower went out and planted the seed and it produced a harvest, some hundredfold, some 60, some 30. But what did it take that sower to do? He had to take the seed, go out, dig the hole, plant the seed, water it, check up on it. He didn't just say, God, provide me a harvest. He had to put in the work. And I think a lot of us are looking for God in the dramatic when we serve a God who honors the details. And the details are so important to him. And the management of things that he's entrusted to us is important to him. I mean, look, he chose David out of all of the other candidates that made sense, right? He chose David because he was faithfully tending the sheep. He was doing the last thing that God told him to do. Why did he choose Peter? Why did Jesus choose Peter? Because even on the days that he didn't receive the blessing, even on the days he didn't catch the fish, he was faithfully washing his nets. What's the last thing that God asked you to do? And why are you complaining that he's not doing more? Because we're not putting in the work. 
Maybe you're asking God for a miracle, and God's just asking you to stop gossiping. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe you're asking God to use you, but he's telling you to stop using other people to get what you want. A lot of times we ask God for things that we're unwilling to put in the effort for. And God wants people who are committed and passionate about seeing his kingdom come and his will be done. And that means dying to self. And that means picking up your cross. And what does picking up your cross look like? Does it mean you tell God, okay, put it on my back? No, it means you have to lean down. You have to get dirty. You have to use your muscles. And it takes effort and it takes work. Right? And I think about this. And I think about, you know how ridiculous they probably felt? Honestly, I think back to a time um, when I was in college, I was going to GCSU, and I was a theater major, and I loved my university. I loved my friends. I had an apartment with some of my greatest friends, and um, I got cast in all these plays, and it was just like the dream life. You know what I mean? I was planted in an incredible church family, and it just seemed perfect. And I remember my sophomore year in January, God started to stir in my heart that I should leave my school. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense, God. Like, I'm so happy here. And I know it's definitely not, you know, you because I'm invested in the church here and I'm so happy there, right? <laughs> Silly me. And I'm like, God, like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm so happy. Everything's going right. Everything's going my way. And I remember him speaking so clearly to me that I needed to leave. And when I told my friends and I told my professors, everybody was shocked. And honestly, they made me feel really silly. It's like, Cody, why would you do that? Why? Yeah, you could just finish your degree really quickly. You could just finish out here. We already signed our apartment lease. I had to pay rent for months I wasn't going to be there. We already did this. We already have our friend group. We're already established. We're already comfortable. Why would you change that? And I felt ridiculous. And I think in that moment, though, if it weren't for that moment of obedience, God would have never allowed me to go on tour with that children's theater company, which was one of the greatest moments of my life, and God would have never brought me here. I would have never been here today if I wouldn't have been obedient. And it didn't make sense. I felt ridiculous. I felt silly. But I was obedient, and look what God has done. And I bet that the people in this story felt so ridiculous, right? Like God saying, hey, I want you to go knock this wall down. And instead of looking cool in your armor and with your swords and, like, it's 300 and, like, you know, you guys are going up and you're just going to, like, you know, shoot the wall and it's going to fall and you guys are going to growl and, like, run up there. He's like, hey, guys, you know what? I want you guys to march around with the trumpet. I mean, think of how ridiculous they must have felt. Like, they're trying to walk up and be all intimidating and they're like, I mean, think about it. Like, how ridiculous they must have felt. (laughs) I mean, again, like I said before, it didn't make sense. But following Jesus was never meant to make sense. We were never meant to be comfortable. Right? Anything that Jesus did didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that God would send his son to die on a cross for us. It doesn't make sense that the king of the world would come down as a servant and wash feet of others. It doesn't make sense. And so we complain and we sit back and say, God, the things you're doing or the things you're asking me to do don't make sense. And I just don't feel like being obedient. And then we complain that he doesn't show up in the way that we want him to. What's the last thing God asks you to do? What is he challenging you to do today? You know, we're meant to stand out. That's why unbelievers probably think we're so ridiculous, right? You slap me on the face, and I want you to slap the other cheek. You're going to talk bad about me? I want to build you up, right? You hurt me? I want to encourage you. 
That's what a picture of Christ looks like. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel ridiculous. Maybe as you're hearing this, you already know the thing that God's telling you to do. Maybe it is to stop drinking those lattes, or maybe it is to tithe, or maybe it is to budget, or maybe it is to forgive that person in your life, or maybe it is to apologize to your boss because you've said some pretty terrible things about them. And maybe you know what that is, and you're like, no, I feel ridiculous. I feel silly. I've already been gossiping with these people for so long. If I, if I stepped away now, they'd think I was being ridiculous. No, I've already forgiven that person a thousand times. I don't feel like doing it again. I would feel silly. I've already tried to budget and it all fell apart, so I've already been there and done that. And I feel silly. And that's one of the greatest ways that the enemy would love to discourage you. And I think about this story. I've been walking around this wall for days. I'm marching and I'm stomping like you told me to and I'm blowing this stupid trumpet and the wall is still huge and it's still made of stone and it doesn't look like it's going to fall and are you really going to show up because I feel ridiculous and I just wonder what wall God wants to break down for you today and I wonder if you're going to choose to believe the lie of the enemy that you are silly and you are ridiculous and it is too late or if you're going to believe the truth of God, that he died so every day could be new and that hope is found in him and joy is found in him. And when we're obedient to him, he will do more than we ever could imagine. If the enemy knows that you're hopeless and embarrassed and insecure, he knows that you'll sit and not do anything for God's kingdom. And, you know, it's just it's so sad to me because I think back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, Right? They sinned against God. They were so ashamed. So they ran away, and they hid themselves with fig leaves. And God calls out to them, and he says, where are you? They said, don't look at us. We're naked. And God says, with such a broken heart, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Who told you that it would be useless to forgive them again? Who told you that it wouldn't make sense if you did that? Who told you that if you put in your resume one more time, it wouldn't be worth it? Who told you? Who lied to you about that? Who told you that you're supposed to just sit back and be comfortable? Who told you that the Holy Spirit inside of you isn't active and can't do my work and my miracles here on earth? Who told you that? And today, we have the opportunity to say, whoever told me that, I'm not going to listen to it anymore. I'm not. Because, because I might feel silly, and my feet might hurt, and I might be tired of marching around this stupid wall over and over and over again, and I've already blown this trumpet. I mean, it's made of ram's horns. I'm sure it's heavy. And they're like, I'm so tired of this, but I'm going to keep going because I know my God is faithful to knock any wall down that he says he will. And if I activate the Holy Spirit that is inside of me, he'll use it. He will. The work of God is exactly that. It's work. And the miracles that he wants to do, he's capable of doing. But he wants to use broken people like us. Hallelujah, what an honor. And how dare us sit back and say, no thanks. We don't want to. If you wanted to do it, you would have done it all by yourself. 
he says, no, I wanted you to do it bad enough that I sent my son down so you could be a part of what I'm doing and be a part of my kingdom and be a part of the miracles that I want to do on earth. So are you going to sit back and believe the lies of the person who told you that it's fine to just sit back and don't worry about it, to not forgive, to be jealous, to gossip, whatever that is for you? Are you going to step up and activate the Holy Spirit that I have given you? God can do anything he wants. He is all-powerful. He is mighty. And in a blink of an eye, he can make those walls come down. But I think the message that the Lord put on my heart today is that it's time for the people of God to stop begging for God to show up and actually activate and be a part of what he wants to do. A lot of us are waiting on God, and God's saying, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. When are you going to listen? When are you going to do it? The stone and the slingshot's right there, David. Are you going to pick it up? Or are you going to complain that Goliath is too scary? The wall's right there, guys. I'll knock it down. But are you going to march? Are you going to blow your trumpet? Or are you not? God wants to perform some miracles today. He wants to renew your confidence in the spirit that's inside of you. He wants to knock those walls down that seem so impossible. God wants to miraculously heal your marriage, but it might take the work of forgiving that person and moving past some things. God wants to bless you financially and meet all of your needs, but that might take you putting in the work of establishing a budget and tithing. God wants to restore your purity, but that might take the work of setting up some guardrails on some of the stuff you look on the internet or that coworker that you talk to. God wants to knock the walls of Jericho down, but it might take the work of putting on your shoes and marching, even when you feel 